0: Active 911 is proud to partner with the Code 3 podcast. Active 911 designs technology for first responders to help heroes save lives. Learn more at Active911.com.
1: I'd much rather feed the media like a hungry dog from food from my hand than have it dig around my garbage can out back and find my trash to eat. If we are able to interact with the media directly and have more input on what information they receive, we'll have less confrontation.
0: Los Angeles, this is Code 3, the Firefighters Podcast, hosted by award-winning journalist Scott Orr. Now, here's Scott.
2: That's right, and I will not let Parkinson stop me. Thank you for joining me today for another edition of Code 3. This is the show that gives you all the information on a firefighting topic you need in about 20 minutes. Let's get started. What do you think of your city's news media? Maybe you think of reporters and photographers as an annoyance. Perhaps you view them as a necessary evil. Or, and this is the best way I think, do you look at them as professionals just doing their jobs reporting the news? I've been a journalist for 30 plus years and I can tell you that while reporters sometimes make honest mistakes, Very few are out to get you as a firefighter. They're also generally not out to make your department look bad. So the question is, how do you get the news media to help you? It's not hard. Just give them what they want, a good story, and they'll be happy. Don't act like there's something to hide, especially when there isn't anything to hide. My guest today will explain how to do that a little better. Robert Leonard has over 30 years of service as a firefighter officer and EMT. Rob's been FDNY's Deputy Director of Public Information and Deputy Press Secretary for Uniformed and Emergency Services to the Mayor of the City of New York. He's an Assistant Chief of the City Fire Department on Long Island and a second deputy chief instructor at the Nassau County Fire Service Academy. He's also a senior executive at a national public relations firm, leading the public safety and local government practice, and a member of the Public Relations Committee for the Firefighters Association of the State of New York. And Rob Leonard joins me now. Welcome to Code 3.
1: Thanks for having me on the program. Very happy to be here.
2: It's good to have you. So let's start with the State of the Union. How are relationships between firefighters in general and the news media right now?
1: You know, I think it varies by the organization. I think on the whole, as the fire service and public safety in general, we're guarded with the media. I think we are always concerned the media is out to get us. Uh, Unfortunately, the, the collective, capital W, we, in the fire service. And and you, Scott, having been on the other side of the camera and the reporter's microphone, I'm sure you've had fire chiefs and fire officers and firefighters who've been very welcoming when you come to a scene. And those have been a little standoffish because they've had a bad experience or a perception. So I think the state of the union is cautious. And what I try to teach people is it's like any other evolution we do in training. We practice stretching hose. We practice throwing ladders. We should practice talking to reporters and it'll make it less stressful and less confrontational. We'll need to understand their job. They're there to tell a story. And if we don't talk to the storyteller, the storyteller will talk to someone who will tell them a story. And it might be the probie or the civilian or the cop, nothing against our police brothers and sisters, or some disgruntled former member of your volunteer fire department or ex-employee of your career fire department you should be the spokesperson for your fire department uh, as a fire chief, as an officer, as a PIO, even as a firefighter at some point. And if you don't want to take those reporters' questions and answer them, someone's going to answer them for you.
2: You know, I'm familiar with this to some degree. And I've noticed that a lot of firefighters will immediately point a reporter to the PIO, which is fine. But what happens when the reporter says, Hey, I'd like to talk to a firefighter who was just out here two hours ago when the fire started. Can, can we get somebody to do that, or is that typically a problem because no one wants to talk?
1: So, you know, I'm actually teaching uh, a couple classes at Firehouse Expo on this, and a little self-plug here, if anybody's in Columbus for Firehouse Expo in September, we're doing a, a four-hour PIO boot camp, and then a 90-minute Fire Officers and Fire Chiefs Guide to Media Interviews. And and even when I worked for the FDNY, we would talk about, you don't necessarily need the PIO or the chief to be there to speak to a reporter, but a lot of fire departments, when I start those classes we just spoke of, I do a little survey, raise your hand if your fire department policy is no one but the chief speaks to the media. Next question, raise your hand if your policy is no one but the PIO speaks to the media. And I tell both groups, which tends to be 80% of the people in the room, those policies are kind of restrictive. If Scott or a firefighter pulled a cat out of the tree or saved the baby or dove into the rushing water to pull out the hiker...
2: That's who they're going to want to talk to, yeah.
1: Right. Not Rob Leonard, the PIO, or Rob Leonard, the chief. He didn't do the work. You did. Uh, And it's the same with law enforcement. The cop who made the arrest, who broke down the door, who found the kidnapped child, the detective who broke the case not the police chief, not the mayor. They'll be part of the press conference, but you've covered these events as a a journalist, and I've been at them as a PIO and a spokesman for decades. They want to speak to the troops on the ground. So I always advise fire departments to have a workable enough policy whereby if you and I, Scott, are on a fire crew and you're the lieutenant and I make the grab and you say, you know, as long as you stay within the XYZ fire department guidelines, PIO says you can talk. Go talk. Because by the time PIO responds from headquarters, if it's a career department, if it's a non career department, it's a volunteer situation, the PIO may be at work, the chief may be at work. We don't always have the luxury of having the chief or the PIO there to bless the interview, to authorize it. So I advocate having frontline officers trained to do interviews. And I took a great class at at FDIC in Indy, run by a guy who's, I think it's College Station Texas PIO. He called the tactical public information officer. He talked about not the formal PIO, but the informal PIO being the frontline officer and the frontline firefighter. They're the ones doing the work, putting out the fire at the scene of the emergency, who did the CPR on the baby. Uh, That's who oftentimes reporters want to talk to.
2: Assuming they're allowed to, as you just pointed out. How likely is it that your average everyday firefighter is going to want to talk to the media, and why might they not?
1: That's a great question. That's part of the classes I teach is early in in the program. I put up a a quote, it's now 50 years old, from President then-President Nixon, the press is the enemy. And I say that many police officers, firefighters, EMS providers, and others in government and public safety think the press is the enemy. I think we live in a highly digital, connected society, especially now. Scott, when I started doing PIO thirty-three, thirty-four years ago, CNN was nascent. You didn't have the internet. You didn't have everyone's cell phone going live on Facebook, and no one wants to be that embarrassed firefighter. And we naturally rib each other. You know, you look at Backdraft; they make fun of the of the Baldwin character, I think, which um, McCaffrey, who I think was Brian. He gets in the paper. He's got to buy everybody lunch. It's part of the union bylaw, and you know, you're know you the hero, and he rescued a dummy. Everyone's afraid of that, being embarrassed. But like anything we do in the fire service, if we practice it, it won't be foreign to us. I'm a hacking golfer. My son's a pretty low handicapper. He practices a lot more than his hacking golfer dad. I don't expect great results when I play golf. He gets great results when he plays golf because he practices. If we pulled out a video camera or even a cell phone or an iPad in the fire station and said, Hey, Captain Scott, let's make believe you're the officer today and you, we had a rescue, and I'm Channel 6 News. And I'm going to interview you. Same way we drill on hose stretching, ladder throws, fast team operations. You need to drill on this stuff. I think what would make them more comfortable and less reticent to do the interview would be practice behind the scenes and knowing their administration and their brothers and sisters support them. You'll get a little ribbing in the fire station kitchen. You should. But it shouldn't be mocking. It shouldn't be mean-spirited. And I have a slide in one of my classes where it says two goals of firefighting. Everyone goes home and keep yourself off YouTube. So I think we're a little scared, made nervous. It's not something we're common and used to. So if we made it more common and did it more, we'd be more comfortable and less nervous.
2: Now, I'm going to tell you an example of my favorite funny fire scene story from upstate New York from 20 years ago and i like your reaction to well, I think I know what it's going to be. I was at a structure fire. It was a multi-story house. There was a firefighter who put up a ladder and went to the third floor, broke the window to make entry, and, and he started going. And the battalion chief came up to me and said, hey, don't put that on TV. And I said, don't put what on TV? And he said, we don't want people to know how we make entry into these houses. And I said, with a ladder and an axe, it's not really a secret. And he said, <laughs> no, we don't want to be telling people this. I tell you this to ask you, are we a little overprotective about what we let the media know?
1: I think we are. I, I do. Now, listen, I, I'm a PIO. I'm a public relations executive by trade, which came out of being a government fire service and EMS PIO. But the line firefighter and the average officer is is very nervous. We're in a litigious society. We're in a very media-conscious society. Regardless of the side of the debate you're on, there's one group that watches one cable news network and one that watches the other. And I watch them battle on Facebook all the time. And everyone thinks the media is out to get us. I I think you're absolutely right, Scott, that that battalion chief was being a little silly, uh, not to be overly critical, to think the common thief wouldn't know to go and get a ladder, throw it up somewhere, and take a blunt-edge tool and smash a window. I think the common thief is much more sophisticated than us. Some of our best forceful entry tools we learn from the thieves, (laughs) Uh, they're usually a step ahead of us.
2: (laughs) Well, you've kind of danced around the issue I want to talk about next, which is what they tend to call themselves these days, if not not digital journalists, is uh, First Amendment auditors. And they tend to try to push the limits with cameras that are live on Facebook or whatever, and I've seen examples of bad reactions you've probably heard about the firefighter who turned a hose on a guy who was doing that for no particular reason other than he thought he was too close to the scene and what what are you, what are your solutions to that problem when you've got those people or are they a problem
1: i i think it is an occasional problem i think it's more of a problem than it needs to be i think the solution starts with education and again when i teach classes on this topic i'm not a lawyer and i'm not a constitutional scholar but i review briefly the language of the first member of the constitution which is congress shall make no law regarding freedom of the press. Um, You, as a former journalist, had a lot of rights. I remind people that, at least in the city of New York, um, where I worked most of my career, and I'm sitting right now as we do this interview, the New York City Police Department issues press passes to accredited journalists, and they say that they may cross police and fire lines wherever drawn other than for safety issues. So if we put a police line or a fire line up to keep the public up, out it doesn't to keep the press out. Sometimes the PIO will establish a press area inside of maybe a warm or a cool zone, not the hot zone, at an incident because the better access the press has, the better chance we have of, as I stated in that article you read in Firehouse this week, I'd much rather feed the media like a hungry dog from food from my hand than have it dig around my garbage can out back and find my trash to eat. Uh, if we are able to interact with the media directly, and have more input on what information they receive, will have less confrontation. Uh, I was involved in a situation almost 30 years ago where I had a photographer for one of the EMS trade journals riding with me. We pulled up on a scene. A paramedic was working on a patient in the back of a bus. The side door of the bus was open, and my photographer started clicking photos. Well, under the rules of public domain, because anyone in the public could see that ambulance with the door open, and this is long before HIPAA, the patient really didn't have much rights of privacy. If the paramedic wanted that person to have privacy, they should close the door to the ambulance. Did you ask the photog to stop? I didn't. I didn't because I'm a PIO and I'm thinking any daily news or New York Times or Wall Street Journal photographer get the same photo. We did not go inside of a, a closed scene. We didn't go in a private home. It was in the street. And under the guidelines of public domain, and it wasn't graphic. It was just them rendering care. Uh, it turned out the paramedic was an off-duty police officer from a nearby jurisdiction, hadn't told his jurisdiction he was working as a paramedic. It was against departmental rules for him at work. And he got all fired up. But he hid behind the patient care as his guideline for why he shouldn't have his photo taken. If you're in the middle of an, in, uh, an interstate, I know you're in California. Give me a highway number, Scott. Give me a big highway in California.
2: 405.
1: You're standing in the that's right, you're standing in the middle of a 405, and KTLA is overhead with the helicopter, you can't tell them to stop taking pictures. You, you can't even tell people, civilians with their phones, to stop taking pictures. So yes, there are first movement auditors. It's interesting, in New York City, the police department now sends out its own auditors with cameras to videotape the cops interacting with the people at civil disturbances, so they have their own record, because the civilian person or auditor may edit up their chop up their footage. The cops now have the whole incident on, on film, uh, you know, especially as the fire service. I could see the police at some point concerning about evidence being photographed, then cordon off the scene accordingly or close the airspace over, over your scene. But a fire for the most part, under the fire investigation, is a pretty visual thing that most everyone can see. And you can't tell a person stop taking pictures. Uh, You've got to be careful you don't violate that person's rights, especially a journalist. So I think it's important that we educate ourselves on the First Amendment and local FOIA and FOIL laws and access laws for press and sunshine laws, because we actually might be violating the law telling that person don't take a picture or getting into a tussle with a person using a camera at a scene.
2: I'll be back with more right after this.
1: Looking to decrease your response
0: times with Active Alert? Get calls straight to your phone from dispatch via the app. Available for Android, iPhones, and tablets. Plus, get directions to the scene. Have all CAD notes in one place. See who's responding. And quickly identify nearby map markers like hydrants and preplans. With a low per-device price, Active Alert is a must-have tool for first responders. See for yourself why it's trusted by thousands of firefighters nationwide. Start your free trial today at Active911.com. I want to
2: talk now about the relationship that you might have with reporters. I've been in situations where I've had good relations with fire departments. Then the story comes up that I'm required to cover, and it's not a good story. It's not a happy story. And the reaction has been, I thought you were our friend. What What can you tell people about that situation?
1: I think it's important to recognize that the reporter has a job to do. And a reporter can do 10 great stories for you. But if your agency has a problem and the reporter's covering it, it's because your agency has a problem. The reporter didn't make your treasurer of your volunteer fire company steal the money. The reporter didn't make one of your firefighters at a career department show up intoxicated or uh, under the influence of a drug at work and have an accident, the reporter is just covering that story. Um, the reporters cover, as you know, Scott, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Uh, we love it when they cover the good. When it's the bad and the ugly, we get a little creaky. I think if you have a relationship with a reporter who treated you with respect in the past, even on the toughest story, they'll continue to treat you with respect. They may have to ask you tough questions, but they'll be fair. They'll be objective, and that'll be to your advantage. So I think having relation, knowing reporters aren't your friends. I mean, I'm sure you, Scott, had fire service friends. That's why you're doing this podcast nowadays, and you're a big supporter of the fire service. But you were a reporter and a journalist. And there were times you probably had to go to people you had great rapport with and say, "I got to ask some tough questions, ladies and guys."
2: Right, but you know that if they're your "quote unquote" friend, that they'll be reasonable about how they do it and they won't try to do a hit piece
1: i agree even
2: though you might assume it's a hit piece just because you don't like it
1: it could always be much worse Yeah, i often even in my private practice now counsel clients if you thought that that story was bad let me tell you five ways it could have been worse and they say oh you're right he didn't include this she was fair about that the reporter the producer was fair about this or that they did Use my statement in its entirety, Um, but you only get that fairness when one, as I said in the Firehouse article recently, you're honest and forthright, two, you give access, and three, you built rapport beforehand. You talked, I know, on, on one of the bios on your own site about doing citizen academies as a reporter and as a civilian I would encourage fire departments across the country to invite reporters in when it's not a bad story so that they know Chief Scott Orr is a good guy and he's got good men and women working for him in the fire department. So when they do have to come do a bad story, it's not the fire department is a problem. The fire department at that moment has a problem. And I think there's a subtle difference there.
2: That's a good way to phrase it. Let me go back to that honesty question. What is the harm in bending the truth a little, i.e. lying, when you, when you really don't want to tell a reporter something? What's re- I mean, yeah, it's not it's not ethical, but that aside, what's the problem
1: with it? I think there's a couple of problems. You, know, you made a good point about relationships. If the same reporter stays at the same TV station or newspaper for a decade or more, you're going to see him or her several times a year. And if they're on the beat covering police and fire, you're going to see them even more often. And once you've lied to them once to restore your credibility is incredibly, incredibly difficult. Uh, And what value does that lie bring to you? Really? It temporarily puts off the truth. Um, The reality is there's so much ability to discover information nowadays, electronically, digitally, through FOIA requests, freedom of information requests, Um, fire departments of all flavors, even volunteers or government entities. Even if you're in a private volunteer fire company, you're, most likely funded by either government funding through a contract with a local government agency or taxpayer funding via contributions. So you might be a 501c3. In any of those cases, you have obligations to give out certain information. Um, You're better off being honest because they may get it anyway. It may come out in a disclosure. Say, God, we have a firefighter under the influence of drugs or alcohol driving an apparatus and they crash, and we lie about it. Now the victim's family sues, and in the course of disclosure, the opposing attorneys get this information and put it out in the press. Instead of having a problem with one firefighter who is intoxicated, maybe he's having a bad time in his life or overusing pain medication due to a job injury. You lie about it. You now have that problem of the of the challenged firefighter driving, and you've undercut your own credibility and you've raised the curiosity of the reporter to dig even deeper.
2: Now it becomes the cover-up at the fire department.
1: Yes, versus we had a bad apple. We're getting him or her the help they need. We have policies against this behavior. Mr. Jones or, Mr. or Mrs. Smith's firefighter should have known not to come to work under the influence. Uh, we've disciplined them. We've also given them the help they need versus we covered for them, tried to cover it up. It comes out anyway, and you get two or three bad stories rather than you take your hit once and move on.
2: Let me tell you what a police captain once told me. He said that he goes to his lieutenants and his sergeants and he says, do you get calls every day from news media asking what's going on? And they would tell him, yeah, and we usually say there's nothing happening. He said, why is that? Well, there's nothing happening. And he said, yeah, there's nothing bad happening. But what's good that you could tell him? Did you save a kid from uh, falling out of a tree or something. They'll do that story too. So I'm wondering what the fire department version of that is. Even if they don't make a call on a beat call to the fire department, might you call a newspaper and say, hey, something good just happened? It's not a big deal, but you might want to run it.
1: I agree, yeah. I, I'm a big believer in proactive media relations. Um, My career day job as a a PR executive, we work for the Firefighters Association of the State of New York, which is the trade association for all the volunteer fire departments in New York State. And even when there's no news going on, we make news. Um, We will put out around Christmas time tips on Christmas tree fire safety. We don't wait for a Christmas tree fire to happen, and they happen a couple thousand times a year across the United States, causing tens of millions of dollars in damage and thousands of injuries. We proactively say, Come down to the fire station we're going to burn a christmas tree and show you a demonstration of how bad this can be and give you some tips news you can use for your re- readers or your, your viewers we invite them to training days and, and like you said a civilian academy or a media academy um we have graduations of firefighters from the academy we have a firefighter retiring after 40 or 50 years of service career or volunteer There are always positive, proactive stories you can be telling. The best PIO has two or three of those, quote, evergreen stories in his pocket or her pocket ready to go and has a rapport, a relationship we discussed earlier with the media that they can call on a slow news day and say, hey, Scott, I got a couple of stories for you. You haven't called me in a couple of weeks, you know, and it hasn't been too busy at the fire station, but these are some positive things that are going on. Why don't you come over and check one of these out for a story?
2: And I'll jump back in here and point out that it may not even have to be a slow news day, but if my story of the day is falling through and you happen to have something you can pitch to me, or I know that you frequently have stories you can pitch, I'm likely to call you and go, hey, do you have anything at all?
1: Absolutely, yes. You you as a reporter, especially in today's day and age, when you were in the business 20, 20, 30 years ago when you started, You know, you had evening news at 5 or 6, 11, maybe a midday show. A lot of the TV stations now are, you know, six hours a day of live news. They've got to fill a lot of space. Uh, The newspaper itself is thin, but the digital presence for the LA Times or the New York Times or the Washington Post or any newspaper is huge. They're always looking to fill content. So a reporter may call you and say, hey, PIO, I'm I'm looking for something like you said. My story fell through, or my editor assigned me to this. And I know you guys are involved in youth programs. I'm doing a story about youth careers in a challenging uh, economic environment. Is firefighter a good career, and how would a kid prepare for that? So you bring them to the fire academy and show them training, show them your recruitment unit, take them out to a school. We're giving out pamphlets to kids to join to to sign up for the career of volunteer fire department, and boom, you've got a good story right there.
2: Well, there we go. Rob Leonard, thanks so much for talking with me today on Code 3.
1: Pleasure and really an honor to be on the broadcast, Scott. Thank you.
2: Working with the news media is not hard. Remember, all these people really want to do is get a good story and move on to the next one. That's what their management expects out of them. You can find more info on this topic at our website, code3podcast.com slash press. It's worthwhile reading, so take a look. Now, if you're still listening, you're a fan, and that means I got a favor to ask. Tell a firefighter about this episode. It's a great way to get more people listening, so I'd really appreciate it. And chances are, they will too. Alright, that's it. That's all for this edition of Code 3. Thank you for listening. I'll be back next time with more, and I hope you'll join me. I'm Scott Orr, and until
0: then, stay safe. To contact us, get more information on today's show, or to subscribe to the podcast, go to code3podcast.com.